have your Bibles, please meet me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14, 14 through 19. Please stand to your feet in reverence to God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. And it reads, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid the irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their walk will spread like gangrens among the, yeah, Amenus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. Good morning. Good to be together in God's house this morning. Amen. Um, no, I, I promised myself I was not going to talk about the football game last night. But I already talked about the football game. So... Anyway, we are here in Second Timothy. I always feel bad when I ask someone else to read it, uh, like Brother Joshua. There's some difficult names in there. I get a chance all week to go through the names and make sure I know how to say them. I probably listened on uh, YouTube uh, a, a handful of times how to say those two names, so I get a leg up on uh, Brother Jay. Those are two difficult names. So, uh, but there are two men we'll get to in the passage. But here we are in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 as we journey our way through this small letter. Remember, this letter was written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was the protege of Paul. And so Timothy is in Ephesus at a church. Paul is in a Roman prison cell waiting for his execution. And this is the last letter that Paul will ever write. Uh, this is the last known letter that's in, in our scripture or outside of our scripture that uh, Paul ever wrote. And he's writing to Timothy to remind him to stay encouraged even when there's persecution. And so the persecution that Timothy is feeling is both internally in the church. There's some dissension happening within the church. He's going to address that in this text this morning. And there's also external things that he's going to address more in depth in chapter 4. But what happened, what's happening in the heart of Timothy is he's getting really discouraged. He's growing really weak and really timid, and he has a lot of fear. And we saw that in the first few weeks, that Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, do not have a spirit of fear, because there is a God that lives in you that has conquered all those things, and that's for us as the believer in this passage. This is one of those passages I was telling Jenny this morning. I, I've wrapped my mind around the text. But my heart is not completely wrapped around the text. And what I mean by that is I, I can have all the knowledge to come preach, 
But for me, this passage has been really difficult for my heart to be wrapped around. And I think it's because of the nature of who I am as a human. As a human, I love debating people. I love it. And I love winning debates. And I promise this. Uh, there's been very few debates in my life I've ever lost. That's not a good thing. Because of the nature of my heart, and I think what God has been saying to me this week is, where am I willing to lose for the sake of actually winning? Where am I willing to lose for the sake of winning? And I think that's what God has been doing in my heart, and I think that's where Satan, for me this week, wants me to stay discouraged and to constantly be a winner rather than a loser. And we know Christ has called us to be losers, not winners. For he who ever will lose his life for my sake will what? Will win it, will gain his life. And so I think that's the wrestle. So my mind this morning is wrapped around the text, and I think my heart is going to have to follow. And so hopefully this message is more for me than for you. But I have to be faithful to God's word, and I have to be faithful to preach. Again, this is one of those moments I wish I could uh, do this. This is uh, what, what happens to the bullpen. You call in the, the, the reliever. Like, hey, I, like, I just don't, my, my gas, my, my, my fastball is just not going to be flying today, so let's call in the reliever. That, that's one of the moments that I went to this morning, like, man, where's the reliever? So, Rob, you're up. Just kidding. So here's the text. Here's what Paul is saying to Timothy, and I believe what Paul is saying to us, three things. He says this in the first few verses. I'll take the verses out of context out of context in the content. I'm not going to take it out of context, uh, but I'm going to take them out of order. So I'm going to read them in the order I'm going to preach them through this morning. So here's the first few uh, verses for point number one. The, the, high, the, the point is this, being an avoidant speaker. So being, be avoidant in your teaching, be avoidant in your speaking is what Paul says to Timothy. Now you may be thinking, what? Why would we avoid speaking? Paul is going to tell Timothy that reason. Let's look. He says this. We're going to look at verses 14, 16 through 18 in our first point together this morning. Verses 14, 16, 17, and 18. Remind them these of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearer. Get down to 16. But avoid irreverent babbling, for it leads people into more and more ungodliness, and their, their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hermenius and Philates, who have served, swerved from the truth, having said that the resurrection has already happened, they're upsetting the faith of some. So the first thing is this. We see in this text, the first thing that Paul says to Timothy and that what Paul is saying to us, hey, remind them of these things. What are these things that Paul is saying to Timothy that Timothy ought to teach and remind them of? Verses, uh, chapter, all of chapter 1 and the last part of what we looked at last week. So we are to remember these things. These things that we are to remember is this in verse 11. These are trustworthy things of the Lord. Are we remembering the trustworthy things of the Lord? Remember, he says, you can turn over back one page. He is reminding them, hey, be a good soldier for Christ Jesus. That is who we are. 
And so oftentimes we forget who we are, do we not? And so Timothy is saying to us, Paul is saying to Timothy, and now Timothy back to us, hey, remember who you are. You are a soldier, you are an athlete, and you are a farmer. And remember, we looked at last week, remember and remind them of who Jesus is. So remember who you are in Christ, but now you've got to remember who Christ is. How often do we remember who we are, but we don't remember who we are in Christ, and therefore Satan reminds us who we are outside of Christ. If it's not true for you, it's often true for me. How often does Satan remind me of my past without being reminded of what Christ has done within me because of my past? And so I'll get hung up on my past without remembering what Christ has done to my past. What Christ has done to my past is what? He's wiped it clean. He is what? He's forgiven me. But how often do you and I not remember our forgiveness? He's going to say it in a few sentences, in a few verses. Hey, don't be ashamed. How often in our shame do we not think we can present the gospel to people? Who am I to do that? Where am I to do that? How can I do that? And so Paul is saying to Timothy, to us, Hey, remember who you are in Christ, and remember who Christ is in you. And then he says this in those last few verses of uh, the first section of chapter 2. This is a trustworthy saying. Who is in Christ. If we have died with him, we also what? We live with him. We endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he denies us. If we are faithless, he is faithful. Remember that Christ cannot be anything other than who he says he is. That's what he says in the last part of the text. And now Paul says to Timothy, remember, remind him of those things. So in this morning, for about five seconds, I want you to remind yourself of who you are and who you are in Christ Jesus. Who you are and who you are in Christ Jesus. First thing he says is to remind them of something. And then the next thing he says in these few verses are charge them not to do some things. So remember to do these things and command them not to do these things. And he says these are the commands that I'm giving to you. I'm charging you, he says. Charge them before God not to quarrel. That's the first one. And to avoid irreverent babbling. Two things he says for us not to do. We are to avoid both quarreling and irreverent babbling. What does he mean by that? Let's look at the text. Not to quarrel about words. What he's saying in this text here is this, that we are to what? We are to avoid things that get us into uh, conversations that really don't matter. How often do we come, and, and hear me when I say this, there are words that matter in the text. Like There are a lot of words that matter in the text. But how often have you and I got caught in conversations with words that don't really matter? And then because of the words that don't matter, then what happens? It says this, it is not good for those who hear it, and it ruins the hearer. This was like notorious in Bible college. I mean, early on, my, my freshman and sophomore year, I can't tell you 
how many late nights I sat up with my roommates and my hallmates talking about things that did not matter. And I wonder how often we get hung up on the things that don't matter and it prevents us from talking about the things that do matter. So he first says this, don't quarrel about words. Don't get hung up on words. Yes, there are words that matter. Yes, and he's going to say it here in a moment. Hey, that, that thing about the resurrection, that really matters. But there's a lot of things that, that the church quarrels about that do not matter. And then he says this, also avoid irreverent babbling, for it will lead people into more and more what? Ungodliness. And I want you to think about this, all the conversations that you hear on TV from preachers, that is irreverent babbling. What Joel Olstein talks to you about is irreverent babbling. What, what Todd White, another preacher be, that is becoming really famous, he talks about things that do not matter. Now here's the danger of it. It sounds like it matters. You listen to Joel Olstein, you're like, man, that sounds right. You listen to Todd White, you're like, that sounds white. Kenneth Copeland, that sounds right. I could list all the false prophets. And that's what makes them so dangerous. Is that not what Satan himself did to us? Remember what Satan did to us in the garden. He used these two things. Don't quarrel and, and avoid irreverent battling. He brought them to quarreling about the word of God. And he brought them to irreverent babbling. He said, is that really what God said? Yes, that's exactly what God said. And what happened when Adam and Eve got into a conversation, because that's what happened. Adam and Eve got into a conversation with Satan. Who won the conversation? Satan did. How often do we enter into conversations that we lose and we think we've actually won? Eve thought she won the conversation. And Adam just kind of stood by and was like, eh, it sounds good to me, I don't know. That, that apple looks awesome. It wasn't an apple, it was a fruit, but you know what I'm talking about. And so what Paul is saying to us is we need to avoid those things. Now he comes right back around for the second point of our text, though. We are to be approved workers. So we're to avoid things but then he says we got to be approved of some things. What does he say to be approved about? Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. That word means this. Be eager to be approved by God. Are you eager to be approved by God? Is there an eagerness, a desire, a longing to be approved by God? Anyone ever, uh, as children, as a child, I'll speak of myself. Uh, I remember playing uh, basketball. I remember playing other sports. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I want to really perform well. But I didn't really want to perform well for me. Who did I want to perform well for? My coach. Like, I, I remember thinking, man, if I can just perform well and get the approval of my coach, then, I, then I'm going to feel good about myself. But that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be eager to do that, to meet his approval. Are we so enamored by 
who God is that we desire his approval. Like in every decision you make, every conversation you get into, are you hoping for God's approval or for the approval of man? Remember what Paul said about that. He said, if I was still seeking the approval of man, I wouldn't be sitting in this prison cell. That's the Todd International Version, but that's in essence what he said in the text later on to Timothy. If I was really wanting to seek man's approval, there would be a lot of things I'd be doing differently. But I wonder, the flip side to that for us would be this. If we wanted God's approval, would we not be doing a whole lot of things differently? So whose approval do you want this morning? Do you want the world's or do you want God's? Remember what John said and what James said about us being friends with the world. It's enmity to God. We cannot be both friends with the world and friends with God. Those two things cannot coexist. But how often do we want to be friends with the world and yet we wonder why we do not have God's approval? Because we cannot do both. And that is what Paul is saying in the text. Do your best. Be diligent is the actual word. To what? Present yourselves to God. That word present means to stand beside. To walk beside. Now think about this. In your decision making, in your conversations, the things you do, would you want to be beside God when you do those things? Because he is beside you. But think about it in those terms. I so eagerly want to approve God, but so much so I'd be willing to have him stand right beside me as I do the things I do. Now that would change a lot of things we do, would it not? If we took into consideration God is standing beside us. And then he uses that word to be approved by who? God. What does the word proved mean? It means reliable, dependable, and counted as worthy. Are the things that you do and say and think with other people within yourselves reliable, dependable, and worthy? And then he says this, and this is how it ties back into we are to avoid speaking about such things. He also tells us, though, this. And he says, we, we ought not to be ashamed. Like we ought to be approved workers, not ashamed. And our unashamedness comes out of who Christ is in us. Therefore, we have no shame about who we are because of who we are in Christ. But look what he says next. Here's how you ought to be approved by God. You and I ought to what? Rightly handle the word of truth. How often do we get in conversations that we ought to avoid because we really have no idea what we're talking about? Like we haven't done our own study, our own research, our own spending time with the Word of God that we can't truly handle the Word of God rightly. That was me at 18 years old. I knew a lot about God. But I didn't really know God, and it put me into conversations. And if I would hit the rewind button, I looked really foolish. Like I would say, no, God can't be that way. No, no, that is exactly how God is. God would never. Oh, no, no, God would. 
and God does. Because my concept of who God was was so elementary that when I entered into conversations, I was not handling the word of God, what? Correctly. And so are we approved by God and do we know how to handle God's word correctly? It would be really foolish for me to put a sword into Cedar's hand. Could you imagine if like next Sunday Cedar walks in and he's got a sword strapped to his hip? You'd be like, oh man, this is what? Dangerous. And if my man took that sword out of the sheath and started wielding it, all of us would separate. And that is what happens to us though. We think we have something. We think we have right control of something, but we've never really interacted with it in a way that we really know it. A true swordsman is, is like a, another appendage to his body. He handles it so rightly. Again, there's men in here that know how to shoot a gun. If you put a gun in my hand, it would look foolish. Like I know how to pull a trigger. I don't know how to aim. I don't know how to clean it. I don't even know how to load it. I don't know how to cock it. Like, I, like I'm a city boy. We don't do that in the city. The only reason you handle a gun in the city is to shoot other people. So for me, I'm like, I don't need a gun. I don't want to shoot anybody. So for me, I, I, would need, I, w- I would need Alex and Rob and Rob to take me out and to show me how to properly use a weapon. But how often do we not do that with God's word? How often do we not really believe what the writer of Hebrews says, that this is a two-edged sword? This is not a butter knife. This divides things. And if it's used improperly, what does it do? It causes more ungodliness. It does not cause godliness if it's used improperly. Think about all the men on TV. They are using the word of God improperly. And it's causing a lot of ungodliness. How is it we've gotten to the places we've gotten to in our society and we use the word of God to justify what we've gotten to because men of God's word have not used the word of God properly? I can take a lot of things out of this Bible, out of context, and make it sound really well. Like abortion in the church. That came because men came around God's word and said, how do we get this to approve that? And it's really easy to do. It is really easy to take God's word and approve what we want it to approve. That is the, that's the handiwork of Satan. Satan doesn't take lies to make more lies. He takes truth to distort them to make the lies. So we as God's people must know how to handle the word of God rightly. We must be approved as we work and use God's word so that we do not cause ungodliness, but we create godliness. The next one he says is this. He says we are to avoid senseless talk. We are to be approved workers, but we are to be reminded that we are anointed believers. Let's look at verse 19. He says, 
but God's firm foundation stands. What is God's firm foundation? Remember what Jesus said at the very end of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Will you be a wise man or a foolish man? Will you build your house on what? These words or some other words? And now Paul says, this is the firm foundation. And then he says this, not only is it the firm foundation, but it is the, what, the seal. What does that word seal mean? The word seal means, think back to in that time and the time before that, a king would seal something as it is his approval of what is being sealed. Remember the story of Jesus being put in the tomb. They, they rolled that big stone over the tomb, but then they put the seal of Caesar to say, this is me that did this. And that is what Paul is saying. Not only is it a firm foundation, but it's been sealed by God. It's his stamp of approval. And what is his stamp of approval of his firm foundation? He says this in verse 19. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone whose name, the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Two things he says, because we're anointed to believers. The first one is this. He says this, God knows who are his. Like, it's not a mystery to God who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. It's a mystery to us. Charles Spurgeon says this, I'm going to get to heaven, and there's going to be a lot of people in heaven I thought would be there, but there's going to be a whole lot of people that are there that I didn't think were there, and vice versa. Only God knows who's going, and God's the one that did the calling. That is a firm foundation. We know this. This is a story that Paul is using from uh, Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, verse 5 says this, He, Moses, said to Korah, Korah was the people of that day that were the, the, the songwriters. You see that in the psalmist. So they, were, they wrote psalms, they did the psalms, they were godly people. And all of his company. In the morning the Lord will show you who is, whose are his, who is holy, and who will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So here's what was happening in the text, not to take the verse out of context. So Numbers chapter 16 is this. The people of Korah came to Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron were doing the things that God had called them to do. And the people of God did not like it. The priest of the day, that's who Korah was, did not like their obedience to God. And so Korah came and said, hey, we're going to take you out of leadership. We're going to take you out of leading us, and we're going to start leading us. And Moses is like, man, I don't think that's how it's going to go. That's me. I don't think that's how Moses said it. But he said, hey, let's put that to the test. If you're saying that's God's word, let me show you what God's word is. So in the morning, we're going to present what and who is truthful, you or God. Moses doesn't say me. Moses says, are you truthful or is God truthful? And then God's going to separate those that he knows from those that he doesn't know. Now here's where it gets real bad, real quick. So They come the next morning, they have this conversation, and Moses says, hey, let's put it to the test. 
And then all of a sudden, you know what happens? The earth opens up and swallows all of Korah and shuts it in on itself, and then fire rains down and burns them as the earth opened up. That's bad news. And then the only people that are left are those that who what? Truly knew God. And so Paul is saying, God knows who are his. The question to us this morning, do you know if you belong to God or not? And now Paul says to Timothy, here's how you know if you know God or not. Because that same damnation and condemnation is awaiting for all those who do not know Christ Jesus. The earth will swallow you whole and you will spend eternity in hell forever and ever and ever apart from him if you do not know him and he does not know you. So Paul says, here's how you know if you know. The next thing is this. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is the, the actual rendering of the Greek text. Let Everyone who knows the name of the Lord, who actually knows the Lord, do what? Depart from iniquity. Depart from sin. So you know and I know if I am known by God, if what? I depart from sin. Is your life and have my life marked with ongoing confession and repentance because my ongoing confession and repentance says to myself and to the known world I believe in who God is and it's my life and my lifestyle adding up with that so these three things have to be true for all of us as believers the first is this are you avoiding conversations that you ought not to get into around spiritual matters are you seeking to be approved by God? And the last one is this. Are you an anointed believer that knows God and God knows by avoiding sin? So here's what I want to do for application. Well, how do we know what conversations to get into? That's the, that's the, the angst of the text. How do I know when to have these conversations? How, how do I know So you have some ways to walk away? The first is this is everything that you're teaching and everything that you are saying, every conversation that you're getting into, first and foremost, does it honor and exalt Christ Jesus? Is everything that's coming out of my mouth and every conversation I'm having with another human being when I think it's about spiritual things, is it honoring God and is it exalting people and is it exalting Christ Jesus? And is exalting him as what? As the Lord and Savior. Not just a good teacher, but the Savior of the world. The next one is this. And this one will be probably harder for the two uh, to, to understand. The next one is this. Does everything that's coming out of my mouth, all of the teachings, all of my conversations, do two things for the believer? Does it bring encouragement and does it bring conviction? First, does everything that I'm saying to another person, every conversation, is it an encouraging conversation? And also, is it bringing conviction? 
Is it humbling pride? Am I being humbled in the conversation? The last one is this. Does every teaching and every conversation produce holiness in the believer? Am I, out of this conversation, helping someone become more and more and more and more holy? And is this conversation helping me become more and more and more holy? I promise this. If you're simply trying to win a debate, it's not producing holiness. It's producing pride. It's producing arrogance. It's producing self-reliance. But it is not producing holiness. So again, the way of application is this. Is my teaching and is my conversation honoring and exalting Christ Jesus? Is my teaching and is my conversations both encouraging and convicting the believer? And does the teachings and conversations I enter into produce holiness within me and other people. May we be like Timothy. May we avoid foolishness. May we be approved workers. And may we be anointed believers who trust and believe in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us.